This is Project Inspire, a Haslam interview series created and produced by students in the Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and sponsored by Haslam's Office of Student Engagement. In this episode, we are joined by Christy Branscombe. Ms. Branscombe is Commissioner of the Tennessee Department of General Services and President of the National Association of State Administrators. Ms. Branscombe is also an entrepreneur, licensed attorney, and principal broker. In both the public and private sector, Ms. Branscombe has leveraged her legal expertise and extensive real estate knowledge to passionately serve others. Welcome to the 20th episode of Project Inspire. I'm Emily, and in this episode, I'm joined by Christy Branscombe. Ms. Branscombe, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Really glad to have you on the podcast today. And if you're ready to get started, we can jump into some questions. Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. So I'd love to start by talking about what interested you in law? Uh, Well, it's not a very exciting story. It's pretty simple. Uh, Being around my father, I could see that whenever he worked with attorneys and he had also friends who were attorneys, he just held them in such high regard and could tell that he really respected them. And then one day he asked me, uh, would you like to have lunch with a friend of mine? She's an attorney here in town. And I said, yes. Uh, I think I was 14 years old or so. And Went and had lunch with her. She told me everything that she did, and I just found it all really fascinating. And so I just thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a lawyer. That's amazing. And then kind of tied into that, could you walk me through your educational path and your decision to then pursue law school? Yeah. So uh, my father had gone to the University of Tennessee, so Mm -hmm. I knew that's where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And he was a business guy and uh, was very involved in real estate. And I didn't know exactly what it meant to study business, but I knew I wanted to be a business person like him. Mm -hmm. So um, I got into the College of Business at the university and studied, um, of course, finance and and took some real estate classes and did, I think it was an urban design, urban land design class with Dr. Bain that I really, really enjoyed. And so took as many of his classes as I could, but uh, just wanted to be a business person like my dad. And I think I'd been here for a couple of years and... uh, But, you know, I always thought I was going to law school. Am I really going to go? And I decided, yeah, that's really what I want to do. I want to go to law school. That's amazing. And that kind of brings me to my next question. How do you think that your legal background has impacted your approach to leadership or even public service? Well, I I think uh, my legal background has very much uh, affected me uh, in both uh, arenas. So uh, it teaches you how to think. Um, how to critically analyze situations, how to take a factual situation and really identify the issues and address them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the moot court and mock trial competitions in law school, and it really teaches you how to remain calm under pressure. Mm. You have upperclassmen, of course, um, just fl- just you know giving you all kinds of crazy questions that you have mm. to answer during those things. But uh, so it really just helped me think as much as anything. You know, there's a lot of attorneys who are involved in public service. And mm-hmm. I really didn't know just how many until I got involved in public service. But, uh, you know, I've always uh, been involved in, in uh, leadership as well. You know, I was lucky in law school because I also got uh, involved in leadership there. And I became uh, a bar governor my first year and then just kind of took on some other leadership roles. But it's most definitely affected how I think and how I approach work for sure. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like a really useful skill set. Yeah, for anyone. Yeah, whatever you're doing. Yeah, I agree. 
And then when you were just starting your career in private practice after graduating from law school, what kind of professional path did you envision for yourself and how has it evolved over the years? Yeah, you know, I think when you're in law school, you have this romance, romantic idea about it all. And mm -hmm. mine was um, I would be in a big firm in a big building and it would be beautiful and I'd be dealing with all the best clients. And I really started out in a small firm and did bankruptcy and some family law, not the good kind, the divorce kind. Mm -hmm. I don't ever recommend that. Um, <laughs> I did, um, you know, collections cases and uh, name changes, just everything. I did that for a couple of years. I think what it really taught me is that's not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I uh, always knew eventually that I would join the family business. So after about two and a half, three years, that's what I did. I went ahead and joined our family business. That's amazing. And then in the recent Haslam Magazine, you spoke about your father being the greatest mentor in your life. Yeah. yeah. In what ways has his influence shape you and, and what in his character do you admire, maybe strive to emulate? Yeah, so I will say my father truly is the smartest man I've ever known. He's a really big thinker. He's uh, great at strategizing. Uh, he's very observant. He reads people incredibly well. Uh, and he understands real estate like no one else. He mm -hmm. really does see that. And I've worked with a lot of real estate people and I don't think there's anyone that knows more than he does. Personally, I think most people would say my father is the ultimate gentleman because he is. Uh, he's incredibly kind. He's very caring and loving. Um, and what he really taught me that I've taken with me for the rest of my life is just how to uh, conduct yourself as a professional. Well, that's amazing to have such an impactful mentor. And, it is. And, and, and a father as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And so tied into that, you also mentioned in the magazine that you grew up in real estate. How has your family's involvement in the real estate uh, industry kind of given you a unique perspective or appreciation for the field? So my knowledge in, uh, in real estate is, is deep and goes back many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. I started out just at summer break answering the phone at my father's company you know, mm -hmm. in high school. And then uh, in college, we had about 100 units over in the Fort Sanders neighborhood and I did the leasing over there and the property management. And trust me, doing that in the Fort Sanders neighborhood, you learned about <laughs> real estate fast. I was going to say, probably very engaging. It was very <laughs> engaging. It was hands-on for sure. Um, but I always would go to job sites with my father. Um, I would always hear him talking on the phone, uh, listening to his phone calls. I just found it interesting, that uh, the, whole, the whole scene. And he would love to take me to job sites and show me how things are coming together and how construction works and what they were doing here or there. But... It was always fascinating. It was uh, it was really um, an incredible experience. And like I said, I ended up joining the firm, worked there for 20 years, and uh, just uh, had a great time. I ended up being general counsel and principal managing broker for our firm. That's so great to be able to get a hands-on perspective, like from yeah. such a young age, and then kind of make your own path out of that. Yeah. It's amazing. It is. It has been. And then in 2003, you established Grace Construction, a construction company named after your daughter. What kind of inspired you to start that company? So that was an interesting time. We were working with a lot of big construction firms uh, really across the country. And uh, they typically had some percentage of work that they wanted a DEIB to perform, a DEIB meaning a disadvantaged 
uh, type business. Um, and it would typically be a small business, a woman owned business, minority owned, veteran owned business. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, if I have a woman owned business, then I can offer them an opportunity to perform some of their work and help them meet the percentage of what, what their goal is for, for working with the DEIB. Mm -hmm. And I did some of that once we formed Grace. But the other reason I really um, got involved in Grace is because we had, you know, a few developments here in the area and still had some remaining lots. And I thought, you know, we can go ahead and start this construction firm and build on these lots because the ones that are remaining are typically a little more challenging for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And so we would build on the lots and find the right home plan that worked for that particular lot. And uh, really it just exposed me to a lot of construction uh, knowledge. I really enjoyed it. And it was also a great create creative outlet. Uh, but ultimately, it was a way to get uh, the money back out of the dirt or the ground and also to make some money on the construction side. So it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it sounds like it was impactful in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It was. It was. And um, and what was it like to be a woman in the construction industry? You know, I, I being a woman in, in commercial real estate and real estate development was mm -hmm. unusual as well. So getting involved in construction was really no different. Mm -hmm. Uh, real estate development. Uh, there, you, there are women involved in, in, you know, some commercial leasing, but not necessarily real estate development. So I've always been a woman uh, in those situations where I'm one or two or three of the only women in a room. Mm -hmm. And and unfortunately, at times it's been that way in public service as well. But uh, early on, it was more challenging. I think, you know, when I was younger, there were times when um, people assumed I was getting the coffee <laughs> or taking minutes in a meeting. I think nowadays people, you know, will Google whoever they're meeting with and understand that's probably not anybody's role anymore. But mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, been, it's been good for me. I've really enjoyed it. That's amazing to hear. And kind of tied into that, you touched on a little bit. How do you think that the company has contributed to your broader career journey? Uh, working at Partners uh, has definitely um, contributed to every, all the knowledge that I have, not only from the real estate development side, but working with lenders, working on the finance side, and then working, of course, in construction and learning about how to manage schedules and how to manage budgets and materials. Uh, and all of that has really helped me in the public service side because even with you're in local government or at state government like I am now, you have, you have property there and you have to figure out how to uh, deal with it in the most optimal way possible. So all that background in the private sector really set me up well for public service. That's really interesting. And so, and then in 2012, mm -hmm. you're working at your, your family's real estate firm, Partners Development, when you receive a call asking you to serve the city of Knoxville as a senior director of public works. Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind at the time when you received that call? Well, I was obviously flattered to get the call, um, but the truth is, I thought, well, I'll entertain this because you take a call if you get a call about something like that, of course. But I thought, there's no way in the world I'm ever going to do this. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of interesting because as time went on, I just could not get the idea out of my mind. Mm. And I felt like, you know, I was uh, in my early 40s and I thought, you know, this could be another opportunity for me to see if I can really uh, be successful in another venue. Can mm -hmm. I really you know, do this. And I don't know much about public service. I had done a lot of community service, of course, but uh, I thought, you know, it's, it's, it's the next adventure. So let's do it. And so I just said, yeah, you know, sign me up. And 
So I was there for in that role for a short period of time and then was um, promoted to CEO deputy uh, to the mayor and was in that position for almost six years. That's amazing. Yeah. And so and when you pursued that adventure and everything that came with it, what were some of the experiences in that role that have left a mark on the city or mm-hmm. really stuck with you? Yeah. So, I mean, some of the things I'm most proud of is uh, saving millions in the operating budget, because that's always a challenge, because that's what a city does. That's what mm-hmm. any government does. It's a service organization. And, um, you know, we had the highest bond rating we've ever had at the city of Knoxville when I was there. Uh, in finance, of course, reported to me, so I, I appreciated that. I loved all the capital projects we did, sidewalks, greenways, parks. Uh, all of that was fun. Um, it's interesting now because I think about at the end, once you get all of that funded, mm-hmm. you have about maybe $30 million in discretionary capital funding. And uh, we, of course, all fought for that little bit of money for our projects. And mm-hmm. um, I think about it now in, in just relation to the state. Um, and right now we're, we're in the middle of $4.5 billion worth of capital improvements. So it's a much different scale at the state level. Uh, but in some ways, it's it's still pretty similar. So, uh, but uh that's interesting. The two big projects I remember working on at the city that I think I'm most proud of is the public works complex, which was really for the employees, because they took me, after I'd gotten there for a little bit, they took me to visit where they were working out of, and it was, you know, it was pretty rough, just to be honest. And they all talked about getting a new public works complex, but it was like this pie-in-the-sky idea that it would never happen, and I think it was in the first or second budget cycle with uh, Mayor O'Hara, she funded it. And so we built this new public works complex and people were just coming up to me all the time saying, I can't believe we, we have this now. I can't wow. believe we have this. So that was very gratifying. I think the second thing I really enjoyed working on is the Regal deal. And that was getting Regal on the South Waterfront. Mm. Uh, it, was, it was a very complex deal with uh, lots of uh, parties involved. Yeah, but it was a fun deal. And so it's, it's good to come back to town and visit and, yeah. and see that deal and, and see the public works complex as well. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of gratifying work, and you definitely left your mark on the city. Yeah. I know there's Regal headquarters right there on the river. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Um, So now as the commissioner of the Department of General Services, you oversee all purchases that the state makes. Right. Could you walk us through, like, a typical day in your role? Well, we do purchases, but we also do all the contracts that we enter in the state government. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all do the acquisitions, dispositions, leasing, capital improvements, all the real estate. And then all the operations as far as vehicles and asset management, uh, the printing, graphic scanning, mail services. There's a lot. It's just the operating <laughs> backbone of, of state. Yeah. So for a day in state government, I, I'm, I'm in lots and lots of meetings, um, typically back-to-back meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all learning better to schedule our meetings as 50-minute meetings instead of an hour. <laughs> uh, just you have 10 minutes to go back to, you know, and check on things and uh, so it's lots of meetings and it's lots of going back and forth for me between the Capitol uh, building uh, and the Tennessee Tower. So, um, but it's, it is, I'm, if you don't like meetings, public service is probably not the thing for you. <laughs> um, I had lots of meetings in local government, but state government takes it to a whole other level. So. <laughs> and what are some of the key responsibilities or challenges that you kind of face in the position? So for me, it's really working for uh, or with the other commissioners. And we're, what we're called is an internal service agency, and we support all the other public-facing uh, agencies. So the more I can do, for example, to support the Department of Mental Health, the more they can publicly 
or give their services out to the public. Mm. And and that's what we really want to do is conserve as much of uh, their uh, their money and their brain power to really go and focus on their public mission. So um, it's meeting with commissioners. They typically call me and say, I have a problem or I need this or how do I get that or how do I do this? Mm-hmm. And so I help them uh, through those. A lot of the things that I do is work with the State Building Commission quite often, which is its own very complicated process. Uh, but because we are in charge of all the capital projects, and as I mentioned earlier, we have over $4 billion going right now, uh, it's just a lot of work. And it's meeting with the State Building Commission members, educating them about our projects, uh, answering all their questions, and then, of course, just getting those projects through the system and getting them uh, you know, in, done uh, on time and in budget. Um, so that's probably the biggest uh, issue that we have that we deal with every day. It's just a very complex, complex mm-hmm. and very critical process to be able to make st- state government work. Mm. It sounds, yeah, very involved, engaging, like right. your other roles, um, but gratifying yeah, as well, definitely. being able to help other definitely. departments. And then can you talk about your role as president of the NASCA, the National Association of State Chief Administrators? Yeah, so that's been a uh, kind of a surprise fun thing for me. Uh, NASCA is the largest uh, association of state chief administrators. You have all the 50 states and then the territory of Guam's actually gotten involved recently. Um, and in 2019, I came on uh, and, and joined NASCA, and it just has been such a great support for me. All the friends that I've made across the country uh, it's just a place where you can go and learn best practices and learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I joined the executive committee for a while, they asked me to serve as vice president, and now I've been president for the last uh, almost two years. And I will be very happy when 1231 <laughs> rolls around because I'll pass the baton on to someone else. But <laughs> it's been a great organization. It's just kind of like a, there's a great camaraderie there, a lot of support among the, the chief administrators and uh, chief operating officers for governments, and uh, just learned a lot and felt very supported throughout the process. Uh, well, my tenure, I should say, at the state of Tennessee. What is interesting is when I came in 2019 uh, in this role and joined NASCA, there were some women, um, but you know there were more definitely way more men than women. Mm-hmm. And just in since till now, which is almost five years uh, in the spring. Uh, I've seen a lot more women come in and be in this role. So that's been exciting just to, to witness that change. That is exciting. Yeah, yeah. it is. And then in the, NACS, in the NASCA's Ray Walton Leadership Award, you were recently recognized for your extraordinary leadership and vision in state government. Could you provide insights into initiatives or projects that you're like particularly proud of and kind of how they've impacted Tennessee government? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously I'm proud of the Walton Leadership Award, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm really proud of what we've done in our department mm-hmm. and across state government. One of the big things is um, I came in 2019 and we really started working on employee engagement. We had a lot of people who were just not as engaged in the work. They didn't understand the role that they played in this large 40,000-person organization, which is challenging anyway. Mm -hmm. And so um, we really focused on employee engagement, and we had third-party survey come uh, be done. uh, And people would gather, this company would gather information from the employees anonymously. And just to give us an idea of, of what was working for them, what was not working for them. And uh, the first, I think the first survey was was not as great. It had been done, frankly, right before I got there. So I don't want to take the 
credit for the bad stuff, but <laughs> then we worked really hard on it. And where we are now is 87% of our staff take the employee engagement survey and uh, our employee engagement rate is about 78%, which is pretty phenomenal. And it allowed us to be a top workplace in Tennessee for the last four years mm-hmm. and for mid-sized organizations in Middle Tennessee. There were over 2,000 organizations who um, had applied for this wow. uh, and gone through this process with the third-party surveyor, and uh, we finished 17th out of the 2,000. So wow. I'm super happy about that, and our group is just very engaged in their work. They care about what they're doing. They're motivated, and they want to do their very best every day. And so that was a big change. Um, some other things that just... All my divisions um, have won industry-leading awards for the last four years. Uh, We just had the largest capital project ever approved by the state of Tennessee uh, approved. It was a $415 million project called, we call it MOLITA because everything in government is an acronym, but it stands (laughs) for the Multi-Agency Law Enforcement Training Academy, and that's going to be in Middle Tennessee. Um, We also have finished a lot of very complicated projects in the last several years, the State Museum, the New Library and Archives. We uh, finished the renovation of the John Sevier Building, which is a gorgeous um, Art Deco building. It was one of the very first office buildings in the state of Tennessee. Right now, we have the renovation of uh, Legislative Plaza and War Memorial going on, and that's a big one, and hopefully we'll get it finished for the 100th anniversary. Uh, And then uh, I think the big one that really started all of this is uh, we did not have a state master plan when I arrived at the state. Um, The governor did agree to give money for us to do this master plan, and from that, We have really right-sized all of our departments and because we had lots of variances in in the sizes and even in the offices. And so we got everything kind of standardized and uh, we work in a a hybrid work model in the state of Tennessee and I think we always will. Mm -hmm. But um, what that has allowed us to do is reduce some square footage across our real estate footprint. Mm -hmm. And over the next 10 years, we're projected to save about $156 million in operating Wow. Uh, funds just by going just by having the master plan and then going through this project to right size um, all of our office space. That's really incredible. You've been able to contribute to so many like tangible impacts for not right. only people you work with but government as a whole. Well, and I will say, you know, it's fun working in government when you have money. And we <laughs> we have really beaten our budgets um, by quite a lot, several billion, the last three or four years. And so, uh, yeah, it's a great time to be working in government. Um, We've had such great projects that we've been able to do, uh, but we do see things kind of evening out now. So, so we'll see what this next year um, holds. We've had we've uh, we've had a lot of excess funds in the last several years to do some big projects. That's amazing, and congratulations on that honor. I think you, you really deserve it. Thank so. you. Thank you. <laughs> so you remain active in the Hasm College of Business, engaging with students, judging competitions, and serving on the dean's advisory council. Mm-hmm. Why is it important for you to stay connected with your alma mater? Well, I mean, the truth is because it's so much fun. I mean, (laughs) this podcast today has been fun. Uh, So the (laughs) students, though, energize me. I mean, just meeting with all of them and seeing seeing what they're doing, hearing about it. I just I've I've always really enjoyed it. And I've always enjoyed coming to speak at the classes after they're over. You know, I just feel this thing, this excitement, you know, just Mm -hmm. being with everyone and just such young, incredibly smart people. Um, and I look back and think, gosh, I'm not sure I was that confident back then. <laughs> there, there, That's really why I just have really, really enjoyed it. And I think about the young woman that I met who was an attorney when I was 14. And, you know, I want to be able to um, show others like you and other women, especially mm-hmm. in, in the Haslam College of Business, that 
there are immense opportunities out there for you. That's amazing. We're glad, really glad to have you so involved. Good. Um, the last question I'd like to ask before we kind of get to our Haslam series questions is what advice would you give to a student aspiring to work in real estate or government? Okay. Well, um, real estate is a practice is the first thing I would say. It's kind of like law or medicine. Mm-hmm. You don't come out of school or you don't get your real estate license and then know exactly what to do. So uh, my advice would be to get with a reputable firm somewhere. If you really want to practice real estate, get with the firm and then find a good mentor that you can, you can assist or work alongside to really learn uh, because you learn from experiences in real estate. And, and so I think that's just important to know. Uh, for government, I would just uh, keep in mind, first of all, that things don't always work inside government like they do in the real world or outside of government. Uh, I'd also look for an opportunity to uh, be interns for, for a legislator or uh, somewhere else, perhaps in the executive branch. But that will give you an idea of really uh, what it's like. And is this something that you would enjoy? And, and I would mm-hmm. say if you do get involved in government, especially at the state lo- level, although I'll tell you, I worked really hard at the local level, too. Um, but the state level, just know that you're going to work hard. I mean, you, there is no time off. It is no. constant. So. Um, but that, that's that's the things that I would do if I were thinking about getting into either one of those. Yeah, that's really good advice. I like the analogy with real estate and like medical practice. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Okay, so that was the last of the main body of questions we have for you. The last four questions are more of a rapid fire style. They're our Haslam series questions that we like to ask each guest at the end of the episode. Okay. So the first one is, what's something you know now that you wish you knew when you were 20? Um Oh, that's a good one. I wish I had realized uh, that I'm a lot smarter and a lot more capable than I thought I was at that point. I love that. Uh, I was probably not as confident as I could have been. And I felt like, you know, you, you know, how do you have a right to be that confident at that point? <laughs> and I wish I had gone back and said, you do. You have every mm-hmm. right to be just as confident as you are. And you have every right to think you're just as smart and capable as anyone else. Uh, that, that's what I would go back and I love that. I will take that to heart. (laughs) Yes, you should. You should. What is a resource? It could be a book, an article, or even a habit that you've found to be particularly useful. Yeah, well, for me, the exercise is critical because that is truly how I burn off a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And I I get great ideas when I'm out exercising, (laughs) running or whatever. Um, So I would highly recommend that. Uh, The second thing for me is because I'm in state government, I find myself driving to lots of different little communities and looking at projects and other things that we do. And uh, I'm an audible junkie. So I listen <laughs> to Audible a lot. And they're great because you can get little books that just give you a little, you know, leadership, you know, punch that you need for the day. Or mm-hmm. uh, you can listen to a book about organizational health. Um, I like autobiographies as well. And then you got to give your mind a break and then sometimes just listen to some good fiction, too. So mm. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Might have to take that up. You should. you should. And fitting with the theme of the podcast, what inspires you? Um, truly people. The people I work with, uh, I just, gosh, get blown away by um, the people I work with. They're young. They are so in the right place because they're so passionate about what they're doing. They really want to make a difference. They think that public service and believe that public service makes a difference. And I do too. Mm. But um, just really, they, my group inspires me at work every single day, and especially some of the young women. Uh, we, I've moved a lot of people uh, around into leadership positions, and 
you, you know, we're, we're going through a period of time where there's lots of retirements happening and it gives opportunities for new young people to move up. And, and uh, it's just the young women are really moving into some great uh, leadership positions in my department. And so I'm very excited for them. But they are def- definitely the ones who inspire me. That's amazing. Very meaningful. Yeah, you inspire me. Young women <laughs> everywhere inspire me. Well, I, that's why you. I enjoy being on campus. Well, thank you. And the last question is, what's next? Oh, gosh, that's a good question, too. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I, don't, I know that commissioner appointments are not for a lifetime, and they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I've gone through one term with this governor, and, and of course, I'm working on operations. I'm not in the policy-making decision think in this uh, decisions. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I like to have adventure. I like to have a challenge. Um, so it's going to be just looking at what is the next problem to solve or where's the next challenge that needs to be addressed. And and just, again, looking at life like uh, it, everything's an adventure. Mm-hmm. So we'll just see what the next adventure holds. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what the next adventure does hold for you. Yeah, me too. Thank you. <laughs> and so that was the last question of our 20th episode of Project Inspired. So, Ms. Branscombe, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Project Inspire. If you enjoyed our episode, consider giving us a five-star rating, leaving a review, or following us. We're available on all streaming platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to check out some of our other episodes while you're here.